This episode of Camel Assembly Radio is brought to you by DFNS. Doing laundry is one of my favorite things. I love it because it's therapeutic and I'm OCD. Also, I used to eat laundry detergent. <laughs> okay, I like laundry too. Not <laughs> that much. But 40% of the clothes we wash actually aren't dirty is what I learned recently. And I swear we all do this. We wear clothes once and then we chuck them in the washing basket regardless of whether they're dirty or not. Enter DFNS, who are on a quest to be the greatest and greenest lifestyle care brand. DFNS create care products for clothes and shoes using a non-toxic, biodegradable, water-based product that uses the power of probiotics to eliminate odor molecules. You literally just spray DFNS apparel or denim launder onto shirts, denim, dresses, coats, whatever. And then in 10 minutes, it's fresh and wrinkle-free. Check out DFNS.com to learn more about how you can save yourself time and effort and keep your clothes smelling beautiful. Gonna start us, yeah, Danny. We're good. Cool. Um, three, two, one. Hi, I'm Keshia Hanum, and I'm Yelda Ali, and we are the founders of Camel Assembly, and we want to welcome you to Camel Assembly Radio, where we sit with female artists and activists, and we talk to them about how they're making and how they're making change. Yelda started it in New York in 2015. It is now live across four continents, uh, in nine cities. We got camels everywhere. From the first assembly in September of 2015, we gathered women to share who they are versus what they do. So every woman that has been to an assembly around the world knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a ritual called Circle of Life. It was just a time where we were exhausted with these Ciroc-sponsored brunches where people were like, what do you do? And here's a business card. And there was no real connection. And so we started bringing these women together in these circles where you get one opportunity to share who you are, but you also get 30 to 40 opportunities to listen. And you started finding these women who were hearing their stories in other people or sharing their own story and not realizing how much it was inspiring somebody else. And so that ritual, that magic of being able to listen and share in these safe spaces, for me personally, I'm just so excited because that's what we're going to do here. You, you've always said something when I first met you, you said that rituals unlock magic. And there was just no denying that there's this magic where you walk out of Camel Assembly and you just be like, oh, this feels different. I don't know what it is, but it just kind of feels a bit different. And so this is actually really a momentous moment. We are so excited to be sitting here because people have asked us to start a podcast for a long time. There were many blockers as to why we didn't. But it was because we were sitting with women and we were constantly hearing these these insights and just hearing really real stories with no agenda. And so it was almost this four-year sort of focus group. And um, what's really exciting right now is to be able to share some of those insights and those conversations with some of the incredible women that, that we know in our community. We have two amazing guests that we're going to get to in just a second, but we are in New York City. This is where we are based. Yelda and I are based. My home as of about seven months ago. Welcome. And thank you. And Yelda's as of 10 years? Over 10 years now. Over 10 years. 
crazy. Incredible. Um, New York is interesting. I experienced probably the biggest culture shock of my life <laughs> being here, which is funny because like I've lived in some weird places. I've lived in South Korea and India and I was born in Hong Kong. I moved to Australia when I was five. I've lived in London and then I moved here and I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. This is going to be like all of my people are here. This is the most similar culture. And I literally had like three months of almost like walking around with really beady eyes being like, what is happening? Where am I? Because as much, it's almost like when you expect to know somewhere and then it tricks you or it surprises you, it's it's a lot more shocking. And I am both profoundly impacted by New York. It has changed me more than any other city. Mm. And then I'm also like nearly daily outraged at, at a country that, if I'm entirely honest, um, doesn't, doesn't look after its people. And I've never seen such a wealthy country not care for its people as much as America does in saying that that has caused this incredible resilience and creativity and innovation in a way that I haven't seen in other places so I'm going to be taking everybody on my journey of learning what it's like to assimilate to American culture <laughs> how are you feeling about being back in New York though because you left for a minute yeah I was on the road for two years I feel so good being in New York like you know it's uh, my home that's the first time in 33 years that I've been able to say that. You know, I've never actually ever felt like I've been at home. Um, and, you know, I was in New York for eight years. I went on the road for two years with you, building Camel Assembly, obviously. And when I came back, I didn't know, I wasn't expecting to feel home because, you know, there's this saying about immigrants and refugees is like, there's this resilience in that you learn at a young age, your home is your heart. And so I never really thought, oh, I'm going to find a place that feels like home. And so for me, what's crazy is these past six months being in New York, when I travel every time I land, you know, I'm landing into LaGuardia or JFK and I'm, it's this profound sense of like, oh my God, is this what home feels like? And it feels very comforting. And just being back with the original Camel Assembly community here also, like I'm, you know, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm I'm less shocked about American antics, but <laughs> excited for your journey. <laughs> thank, thank God for the guides. Speaking of community, um, you had built an amazing community here, and we have since found other incredible women who have joined our community. And we have two of them sitting on the couch with us right now. Two people who we really believe fully embody the ethos of marching daily. Marching daily meaning to show up to your life with the same passion and vehemence as you would for a protest or march, but to do it for the thing that you care about. There are few people who embody this more than Christina Coleman and Flo Ngala. Welcome to Camel Assembly Radio, my loves. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> what a great, that was so cool to listen to. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I was like, <laughs> listen to them all in a daze. That was awesome. Yeah, we're not going to be talking for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> my loves, we're going to ask this of, of every guest that, that comes on the show, but we would love to in the same way that with the circle of life, it's less about what you're doing and more about who you are. So we would love to know from each of you, and maybe we can start with you, Christina. Who are you? Uh, what are you making and what do you care about? Oh my gosh, we're just jumping right into uh -huh. it. Um, the, the word that keeps coming to mind is daughter. Mm. Mm. Uh, and not just a daughter in the literal sense, um, but also just a daughter of the world and a daughter of ancestors and someone who is in constant search in, of, of evolution um, and also making them proud. But also in the literal sense, I think that 
um, I would not be doing myself a service if I was not going through the world knowing and constantly thinking about the relationship that I have with my mother and how that has shaped me and how it sustains me. <sighs> I know that's crazy. <laughs> oh, it's, it's but, deep. It's deep. But it is something I think about, and especially because I'm just coming more into my femininity and as like a, you know, a new wife, um, it's something I'm thinking about constantly. Just how am I showing up as a woman in this world? And what does that mean in relationship to my mother, who I've had a troubled past with? Um, we had some hard times and who is now my my best friend mm. in the entire world. And I love that journey so much, yeah. Tina. Testament to the work that you guys have done. It is, because it's also about breaking cycles. But in order to break a cycle, right, I have to recognize, acknowledge it. Um, and I'm blessed to have a mother who is not afraid to also go on that journey with me. Because we so often see that you know, our parents Give up. Uh, are not, they're not ready. And I do have a mother who is every day evolving with me. It's just so beautiful. So I think about my life and I think about what I put out in the world and and it's still in the context of like, I'm thir- I'll am i be 32, but I still very much am work- going through this life as a daughter of the world and a daughter of Darina. Wow. Mm. Oof. Christina, daughter of Darina. That's a, that's <laughs> some l- her name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some Lord of the Rings intro. Um, what are you, what are you making right now? Hmm. Um, I am making space. Hmm. I'm making space. Just drop the mic right there, sister. <laughs> How am I supposed to follow these answers? Like, I have to literally like sit back in the couch. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, did you say ritual? Unlock magic. Unlock magic. Yeah. I'm sitting here kikiing with y'all, but this is also a challenge that you guys have put on the table for me not to come out and say, my name is Christina. I was once a journalist for mm. a, de- a, you know, a mm. decade. I, and now I work in politics and mm. I'm on a campaign. And so I'm putting those labels aside and I'm thinking about what am I actually doing every day in my life? And I am making, I I think I am making space for change so that we don't have to live under a demagogue. And what do you, what do you care about? It's funny because I think another thing I really love about working on this campaign is that uh, accountability is not a stranger and accountability is not a stranger okay that's that's important <laughs> it, it is because we have these hard conversations internally every day where we have to confront this reality that there are women candidates in this race and so why didn't we choose to to work for a woman and everybody has their different reasons but we have all thought about that we are all thinking about that daily um, and it's not that like I have spent a lifetime, like my entire career in journalism or in, and in content creation has been about uplifting women, specifically black women. And so I had to think about in this new career, you know, switch that I'm doing, why am I supporting a black man instead? Um, and really it came down to um, emotional, the emotional intelligence of, of this candidate. It was a hard decision. There are so many qualified candidates in the field that I respect um, so so much but it really came down to the fact that this is a person who has lived in the community that he has served for over 20 years it's not a game for him um, and that is an element that is so often missing in politics um, is that emotional intelligence that lets you connect with people like actual people to understand where they're coming from when they say that they don't have health insurance or when they say they can't pay their bills or they can't make ends meet. 
We're talking about somebody who's lived in Newark in the same community that he moved to 20 years ago when he became a tenant organizer, protecting and fighting for families who um, were being targeted by slumlords. And like as a child who grew up poor, who went to 12 different elementary schools, three different fifth grades in one year, who moved constantly every time the rent went up because that we couldn't afford it and we were poor. That means something to me. Mm. That means something to me. We all do it for our for different reasons, but in thinking about my life experience and like the little girl who had to go to all those different schools in three first days in one year school year, mm. um, I'm I'm thinking about the person who's going to fight for her. <laughs> well, thank God for that. Truly, it's so beautiful to see that you're going right back to serve the most authentic part of you that still exists. That's special. <sighs> I don't want to go. <laughs> I was like, don't look I at me. No, he's looking at me. My mouth, like, I don't even think it can, like, look. Stop. I had so much more energy, like, 20 minutes ago. I feel, like, humbled. <laughs> I, I feel humbled. It's like, also, that's where we the all beauty is. We semi went speechless right yeah. now. Yeah, I know. Like, just all it out. Oh, we all went, like, oh, Lord, uh, uh, <laughs> wow. Shit is real. Maybe I yeah. should think about that 12-year-old me. And I think it's me. just real because it's like, I think we have relatable elements to that, even if it's like, I don't have that story, but I can understand the deep fulfillment of knowing those experiences, whether, you know, we always talk about, look at your privileges, look at your trauma and let it inform what you choose to do with your life. And you are doing that thing. Yeah. And so it's, it's just like very resonant, I think, to see it in a real life way because you have worked for some of um the world's biggest publications you don't have to be doing this thing you know yeah yeah and that's another thing for me too is like i i made a really self-honoring decision by leaving a super uh, uh, mm. <laughs> a giant of a media company and a dream magazine job because i you know i loved myself mm -hmm. like i love myself more than i love this title mm -hmm. and i think that you are such a in tune person you know yourself and I love that every time something doesn't feel right with you it could look like a hard decision but it doesn't feel like a hard decision for you you always listen to your intuition and you're like this isn't feeling right and you keep it moving and that in itself is half the battle mm -hmm. right? and mm -hmm. not thinking about what other people are gonna say mm -hmm. fuck it like I don't care if I go to a party and I'm not able to like contribute to the like you know the the thing we do the politics <laughs> funnily right. enough what do you do and what can you contribute and um somebody who is embodying i think the dream of many creatives oh, yeah like i i definitely my dream was genuinely to be a photographer <laughs> and to be really, my father who was, yeah no and I, my father god bless him who is genuinely one of the, the best humans that i know but he was sort of like you're not going to be a photographer. If you are going to be a photographer, you would have been taking photos already. So you're not going to be a photographer. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to be a photographer. And so I never pursued it. Oh, and my I gosh. feel like that is something I would have loved to have pursued. You would have been really good. And you did it. You, you can did still that do, thing. You can still do it. I think every I, – I genuinely believe that everyone is a photographer. And, like, I'm not going to go too much into my philosophy on, like, image making because that could be an whole episode in and of, <laughs> in and of itself. But just, like, no, the fact – that <laughs> just the fact that like you know like we're all sitting in this room right now and like you know we like if we were all asked to take a picture like we would all take different photos and like even if it was of the same wall using the same equipment and given the same amount of time like there's just everything is informed by our experiences and like the way we see the world and I used to 
really think about that, especially when um, I started shooting before doing kind of the things I do now, just being someone who was born and raised in Harlem, I would commute to school. And I always gravitated towards people and taking photos of people. And, and, and before I realized I was kind of this people person, just like now taking photos of people who are famous or whatever, it's like the same muscle as like the people in Harlem, the strangers they didn't know, the elderly man sitting in like waiting for the bus or like the mother like holding her kids like in the stroller. Like it's the same, it's the same thing. And, and it's, I don't know, I think it's so beautiful that, like, there's billions of us that have come and that are going to come that exist now. And, like, we all see the world so differently. So mm. it's, like, imagine if everyone, like, was using that that muscle. And that I love that muscle. that abundant mentality because I say that about DJing, you know, where people are like, mm. everyone's a DJ. I'm like, yes, but actually everyone could be a DJ. Of course, we have to honor the technical and the yeah. skill sets yeah. and the time invested. But why would we say that no, only specific types of people could capture a moment or specific types of people could curate the sounds right. for an experience? Exactly. You know, it's such a human thing to do. And I think it's important to say, yes, if that's something that calls to you, you could do that thing also. Yeah. It's not, and the only difference is that like, we've just decided like that we want to do it enough. I believe, and, like, I spoke to this, like, last week when I, like, we were talking about how I spoke at the Apple store, which is really cool, but it's just, like, the creativity coupled with the tec technical elements allows you, I think, at least as a photographer, and maybe you can agree with this as a DJ, allows you to, like, really put out exactly, or the closest version of, like, what you want people to see or hear, but it's all sensory, right? Like, yeah. we can see, we can... We can hear, we can touch, we can like, exactly. all that. But then it's like the feeling, like it's about how my photos make you feel, how like your sounds and how your curation of a sound can like evoke a feeling. And it, and at the end of the day, I think maybe like art is just about making ourselves feel good and people feel good. And I care about visually translating or depicting, yeah, moments, people into like tangible visuals. And overarchingly, I care about life and like how beautiful it is on, on every level and, and just showing that. And sometimes I feel like that's maybe just so subconscious that like maybe when I work, that's just like what I work from and like what I work to, that even though I'm not like actively doing that every time I take a picture, when people look at photos, that's what they feel and that's what they appreciate. So. Mm. You're a historian, you're a storyteller and an anthropologist. Okay. <laughs> that sounds better. All right. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, you are all three of those things. We would not know how any part of the world looked that we didn't step our two feet on. I think photography is just one of the most powerful tools that ever existed, period. Like, you know, we can look at shit from space, underwater. We can see different walks of life, levels of life for the better or for the worse. And it's like, imagine if all we could see is just like what, we, what we've seen with our two eyes. Like, what the fuck? That's so actually trippy. crazy. I've Isn't it crazy? About that. That's trippy. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> like, you, people could come up to you and say, hey, these are your parents. And you would just be like, okay, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's like... crazy. <laughs> like, photos of you as a baby, you would have no idea. Like, your siblings. You wouldn't even know. Okay, like, did you we wouldn't know what together? you look like. like... And it, it's almost like, you know, if you, if that concept of, like, I have to see it to believe it. Mm -hmm. You wonder how much photo has actually affected human belief systems. Mm. Right? Because we don't understand things from like numbers and data. We understand things through stories. Yeah. And if photos to tell a thousand so words good. of a story, like you can imagine that there's so many moments of human's history that 
we have seen something and photo evidence and thus been able to believe in that yeah. thing. You know, it's why representation is so important in these stories, in these photos, big conversations we're having today. What I'm making right now, um, yeah, I think I'm, anytime someone takes a photo, you are capturing moments that are gone. Specifically, being able to shoot, like, some of the people I shoot with, people, I, I think, understand that concept a little bit stronger and will say things like, you know, like, oh my gosh, like, you're taking photos of this person at this point in their career, doing this thing, doing whatever, and, like, these are going to be really important one day, which I've started to think about it more as I've heard it more because, again, with, like, the value of a photograph and of a moment, and, and I, I really pray that I'll continue to be able to just create photos and images of people in general because I, I, I'm just really passionate about like street photography and documentary work and photojournalism. So anytime I can just take pictures of people, I, I really love that. And so the, the things that I've captured that mean a lot to me, like um, I shot the African-American Day Parade in Harlem, which is an annual parade. It's a very special project to me. I went to Miami last year and took pictures of Carnival. And like that's really important to me times and 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 moments where people specifically now it's been like people of color gathering and like you you seeing culture and you seeing like people existing in spaces together i feel like is very important and, and historic in the long run um and then also coupled with like just my love for it which allows me to execute it to my best to the best of my ability because i want to make sure that the way i'm depicting it is received how i feel it and how i how i think it should be received i think or that that has the potential to make the image stronger and to be received in a more potentially historic way. Mm. And you can feel that in your photos. I feel like Thank when you, you see your photos, you do feel like you're looking into the window of a, of a moment. You freeze time to the point where it's like, oh my God, I'm feeling it as though one of the, the young girls is at that festival in Harlem mm -hmm. or whether you're, you're looking into the eyes of Cardi B. You mm -hmm. know, it's like you feel that in all the instances because you've taken such care to ensure that that is translated mm. to the viewer thank you listening literally you do with your ears or like the definition is attributed to like a sonic thing yes. yeah and i think i listen with my eyes yeah which sounds like really kind of like poetic yeah. I, never, I never said it like that but yeah i mean yeah i think a lot of times i'm in rooms where sometimes i'm in, I'm in rooms where like i it's better for me not to say anything and to not be observed not have a presence so people can exist as they would if I were there or not um and then sometimes on the flip side like the listening is just as important because I have to use that 30 minutes of meeting someone before I shoot them or 10 minutes or whatever to like visually listen and understand like what you know what what am I getting from this person like what pose what stature eye contact whatever do I need to make them feel comfortable and to create with in, like with intention. I mean, you've inspired me so that my question is now, like, <laughs> what senses do you use to listen, you know? Because the truth is we yeah. do use so many senses when yeah. we're listening. We can hold somebody and listen to what their body is telling mm -hmm. us and we can listen with our eyes. And so just really getting to that point of, like, in your creating, how much of that creating do you think comes to life because you have taken that time to listen. I just I just genuinely like love talking to people and interacting with people. I think because I've listened so much, again like with my eyes, my ears, whatever, it's like I just there's like a, a certain level of like humility that I enter spaces with and like I'm comfortable with myself and I and I know who I am. So it's like I don't have anything to prove and I think 
that allows people to be comfortable in front of me, mm. and which is so important as a photographer because all I want is to capture a moment as authentically as possible, as real as possible. So I I believe, again, that like you can tell how good a photographer is by the way that a subject looks in, in an image, whether it's like a candid moment, a posed moment. As you continue to work at that and to be the kind of photographer that creates those moments for people and try to work towards that, which is what I'm trying to do, it gets easier and... and, and 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 you just you you know what that realness feels like. Love that, yeah. Chrissy. My answer. She's been sitting there listening all along. I know. <laughs> I'm I'm blown away by her because she's. she's yeah, you're remarkable. Uh, I I was a fucking mess at 24. <laughs> <laughs> we can't look back. Yes, mm -hmm. I met Yelda at 24. Hey, you were my oh. little baby. <laughs> it's funny because when I made this career switch. I was like, it's going to be so different. I'm scared. I'm, I'm nervous. But I'm also so excited to do it. And it's not that different. Because as a journalist, your whole job is to listen. Uh, some people do it better than others. Because some people listen to get a story. Some people listen with empathy to tell a story. Um, and so there's a difference there. So you're always listening to people. That, that is literally your job as a journalist, is to listen to people. Um, and again, some people are in it for the wrong reasons. I was in it to amplify the stories of my community. So black women. Um, other women of color and so you go into their space and you have to honor their space and you have to listen to them with your ears and also like with a level of again going back to that emotional intelligence to know to like know the moment um, to know when to pull back and to know when to stop right that some people just don't have <laughs> they don't have at all right and going back, going into politics, I realized it's this—it's basically the same thing, right? It's that, like, you're working for a, a, a candidate that um, their job is to serve the community. And so if you're not listening, then, like, what are you in it for? And that means also listening to a, a wide array of stories and not just the stories that I'm interested in as a black woman, but like the stories of all Americans and their concerns and what they, you know, their dreams and their fears in order to make this like a, a, a better place, right? Um, but I also, f going back to content, so yes, listening is very important on, on, on both ends, it, it, especially in politics because it's how you, it, policy is informed. And if we're going to change, you know, the racist, um, redlining policies that have been in existence for forever that were created literally to oppress people, then you have to listen to others. That's um, honestly profound. I think it is very much like listen, listen to others, listen to yourself, listen with all senses. It's interesting because um, yeah, something that we heard listening when we were listening to women was that messages like, for example, the future is female just didn't resonate, right? There was just like... I, I don't want to wear a shirt that says the future is female. It's like or the, girl boss or boss lady. Or, or what, you, right. Where it's sort of like, I mean, I guess I think, is that what I should? And then you, and then you start the question because nothing else exists. So you sort of adopt that because it's the only option. But with these kind of ideas talking about similarity, it's like when we think about our men, right? There are many men who want to be a part of improving and healing and progressing. But with a, with, a, with a slogan like the future is female, we not only exclude men, but we absolve them of the responsibility needed to actually make change. Mm. Because we're never going to do something with one half of the world, mm -hmm. whether it's men, women, or otherwise. Whether right? it's, it's sex, 
race, you know, whatever it is. It's like we have a lot of powerful women today that don't need fake empowering messages and actually need change and need everyone to stand beside them to make change. You see these spaces where it's like, well, this does need to exist. And we, obviously, with Camel Assembly, in having started this, we know that women need a space. But we know that also men need safe spaces. And we know that actually the real change will happen in the spaces we come together where we do it together, you know? And it's no different than, like, you, I, I'm seeing it today in, like, the members' houses world where it's like, this members' houses world. And it's like, well, I don't feel comfortable. It's all white girls. That's for black girls. And where do I belong? Am I supposed to go make a members' club for brown girls? Maybe. And there is something to the fact that people have unique experiences and they need safe spaces to talk about those things. But we cannot forget that those are eco chambers and those are places for healing. Those are not places social change will be created because as Kesh also says so well, is like social change is not something one, one type of people do for another type of people. That's not social change. When I do something for somebody that is disabled, that doesn't mean society's changed. When I am in spaces that welcome me and a disabled person equally is when social change is created. Yes, we need gender indiscriminate systems. We need the emancipation of all colors. And race we indiscriminate. Like many, we need indiscriminate systems, period. Absolutely, we need structures that, that do give an opportunity for people to be elevated, but we will not do so by continuing to speak to one type of person i'd also like to add like phrases like the future is female like they're cute but it's not inclusive and i think about trans women we need to step up for them and how much they need to be a part of our movements and for so long they haven't been and like language like that is it can be a little you know exclusive it just comes back to this whole concept of like are you guys listening to us? What we're fighting for are pretty conscious conversations and you're still hitting me with a the Futurist Female t-shirt, which makes me feel like you have not listened to me. I know I have listened to 10,000 women in the past four years and not one of them has been like, the future is female and just ours. Nobody is saying that. Everyone is saying, I need you to come and stand beside me. I need you to come and stand beside me. And the only way this is going to get done is if we all stand and do this together. There's no political party or priest or president that's going to do it for us, you know? And so it's almost like, oh, come on, guys. It's fun. It's just fun merch. I'm going to argue and say it's dangerous. It's just more consumerism of unintelligent thoughts, you know? And I think that we need to question it. And if intelligent messages were being pushed the way that a trend like the future interest female was pushed in t-shirts, there could be a lot of actual change that came out of it. <laughs> mm. <Awesome>. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and recognizing that and it's like, and Flo, I'm curious about your experience because something I've always said is like talking about, say, the women that have come before us and something I have purported to do is to make my ceilings the next generation's flaws, Right. Do you feel like it's a more level playing field that you are able to come in as an equal to a man or to anybody else? Yeah, this question is always tricky for me because I feel like being black and being a woman, I feel like how I look, what they expect me to say, sometimes clouds like the truth of it, which is like I take good photos and that's why people give a fuck about my work. 
I think I'm just doing good work. I'm a good person. And I, I believe in God and like God has been good. And I, and I think that I have a praying mother and like things have just like been very divinely, you know, or needed in this way. Yeah, which I think is beautiful. And I, I don't, I honestly empathize and I understand and I respect wholeheartedly the fact that years before me and after me, there are situations where two people who look different will have different experiences trying to find success specifically in a creative industry. I don't think I've, I've experienced that yet. And I think it's almost because, back to Yelda's point, like I'm, I'm a child of immigrants and we just, I didn't grow up believing in barriers and, and this country is so effed up. And I think my parents having a different experience as black people on this continent, in this world, has allowed, like, they just put that in me. Like, my dad, may, may he rest in peace, but he was, like, a, literally a PhD candidate, like, came here, like, went to NYU. Like, my parents just, like, pick up pennies to get on the subway. Like, there like they were, they were just struggles, and then they just overcame them. And I think, for me, I just kind of went. Like, I just kept going. And, Thank and God I for your honesty. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate yeah. that. I, I, think that's, I think that's a really beautiful place to Hamlin Assembly's Rapid Fire. Not so rapid, but very fire. Rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. Fire. Rapid. Fire. Okay, what's your game? Five questions. Five questions. Let's say 30 seconds to answer. We're just going to go in. Five questions. So wait, what are the rules? What are the rules? Of the I'm, it's, it's like, what do they call this in English? Rapid, Rapid fire? fire? Yeah. <laughs> what is it in the English? You know, what do they call this in English? <laughs> I think it is rapid fire. Um, okay. Uh, rapid, rapid fire, fire. questions. Cool. Okay. Red lip, nude lip. Red. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> red She's wearing lip. red lipstick. <laughs> How many keys are on your key ring? I, I lost my keys a lot of times. I don't have keys Telling. Right Telling. <laughs> Uh, probably like, like ten. Wow, ten. Well, I was how many expecting that? You I got my mama's keys. <laughs> I got my keys. I got my husband's car keys. <laughs> I got, I got keys, y'all. Hey, wait, if you lost your keys, how do you get into your house? <sighs> it's always a struggle. I mean, without, Sometimes like, I'll borrow my sister's. Like, I, I live with like three, four other people, so it's like someone's usually home, having to text, like. I've lost keys like three or four times. I love the so contrast bad. of that answer. Oh yeah. And that's right. <laughs> that's 24 versus 32. <laughs> <laughs> what, what award would you want to win and why? We both want Pulitzers. You oh. want <laughs> Oh, a real hey. award? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good award. Yeah. Okay. Not the most rapid fire, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. Least favorite type of music? Oh, heavy metal. Uh, mm-hmm. like, ugh. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> your face. <laughs> With I'd you on that. Say heavy metal. I was gonna say not, that there's nothing that yeah. I really dislike, but heavy metal is a little too intense for me. It's, it's a, a frequency yeah. I can't get on. Yeah, yeah and also like I don't need white dudes screaming at me. Anyone? It's been my life. Do, you're like no, you want I'm me to good. do this for entertainment? Right, right. You better for, pay for me. My pleasure? No, no, thank you. Christina Coleman and Flo and Gala, thank you so much for being on our inaugural podcast. We're honored. Flo and Gala, marching daily. Christina Coleman, marching daily. Yelda Ali, marching daily. Keshia Hanum, marching daily.